0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Isn't it crazy how church has changed through the years? Times have changed. What does that have to do with anything? I think it has to do with perspective. And uh, a lot of different differing perspectives in church today. If um, some of the people in this... See, there's pros and cons to having a a variety of ages in in the same church. There's more pros than cons. So when you've got... 18-year-olds and 20-year-olds and 25-year-olds and 30-year-olds, and I'm looking around, 35, and then 55, and 65, and 75, and 75, and 80. <laughs> we all come from different backgrounds. We grew up in different churches, potentially. Some of you are, have the gift of snake handling. <laughs> Some have drank things that you didn't know if it would kill you or not. I'm, I hope not. But some of us remember the days when people threw shoes and screamed and yelled, and there's still some places that that happens. But some of you in here, I'm looking at some of you, if that were to happen today, I would want the camera to be on your face. <laughs> and we would, um, we would all want to watch that. I've been in those services, and I'm, I've got opinions about why it does or doesn't happen anymore But you didn't come to hear that today. Hopefully you came to hear the Word of God and hear from God. And quite honestly, I had planned in the series of Perspective to preach uh, a different topic today. But after last week and only getting through half the message, I want to finish last week talking about a biblical view of stewardship, specifically referring to our time Now, some of you are thinking, well, I was here last week and you preached for a solid hour. How did you not finish? I can't answer that. But there's another hour left. So if you have your Bible, if you would turn to Ecclesiastes again, chapter number three, center of your Bible is roughly Psalms and then Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes. If you had Bill Jolly and you... Memorize your books of the Bible. You always said Ecclesiastes. Don't know why, but I remember it. And um, the words of Solomon, who many consider to be the wisest man to ever live, God asked him what he wanted. In so many terms, Solomon said, wisdom, your wisdom. And Solomon writes the Proverbs And then this book of Ecclesiastes where, similar to Proverbs, you can just about open your pages and put your finger somewhere and these wise words will speak to a situation in your life. I don't know if you take advantage of a proverb a day. Yes. (laughs) But there are 31 proverbs, I believe. Someone told me, yeah. And uh, there's nearly 31 days in every month and a proverb a day will... Not keep the doctors away, but will not only encourage you, but convict you. And um, that's just the, you don't have to go buy a new Bible, you know, devotional, there it is. But these wise words today about our time are super important. I don't know, I'm not looking around, some of it's bright up there, but last week there were some things that, this, I know this, I haven't told anybody this. A lot of times when I preach, the reason it takes longer is because things start happening like thoughts and not all of it's from me, some of it's from God. And my problem is determining which one I should say and which I shouldn't say. But the, the phrase came into existence last week, when we think about the God of the good times and the bad times, um, our life hopefully is a healthy balance of a little bit of both. When we understand that, even in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that there's a time for the mountaintops and there's a time for the valleys. And they're appointed by God, and He's not unaware of them. And when last week I was talking about this text and understanding that good and bad happen to us, it's life. Uh, The thought came to mind, we can respond to God and say, God, why is this happening? Or we can respond to God and say, God, why is this happening? And the inflection and the response is what matters. We can call out to God, questioning, almost in anger or bitterness or madness. God, why is this happening? And maybe we'll throw in, to me. Once you grow up a little bit, you realize it's not just you it's happening to. It happens to all of us. But we can ask God, why is this happening to me? Or we can ask God in humble prayer, God, show me why this is happening to me. And I came up and I said this phrase that's not original to me. The phrase was, we can choose to be better or we can choose to be bitter or vice versa. And a man walked out, and I don't know if he's here today, I don't think he is, but I've, kept, I've counted most of you and took notes, but I don't know if he's here today. I wouldn't call him out if he was, but walking out, he was a visitor, and I don't know that I'd ever met him before. And he said, I said, good to see you, thanks for coming. And he said, pray for me, I'm bitter instead of better. And he knew, which is a, a good step. He was honest enough to tell somebody he'd never met before, and he was honest enough to really say to God, I want somebody to pray for me, and acknowledging that he had experienced something in his life, or many somethings in his life, that had left him asking God why, which resulted in bitterness, instead of spiritual, biblical perspective, asking God, show me why so I can be better, and help somebody out, help myself out. There's a lot of principles that are very proven to say you can't help somebody else until you've received help. And once you, I mean, I'm just going to be honest. This is kind of from God that there are people here today who they're still struggling because they're not better for circumstances. They're bitter. I've, I've been doing this long enough now. I know, I know that I know that I know one of the one of the largest stumbling blocks or hindrances in churches today is that the, the benches, the seats, the pews are filled with people who are bitter, who are angry, who are holding grudges. Now I'm not here to meddle in that today. It's not of God. If you're a part of his church and you're a part of the local church, it's not of God for you to have division among yourselves. And it's not the preacher's job or the pastor's job to identify it and call you into a room together and say, let's fix this. It's the Christian's job to fix it. I don't know that that's happening. That's, That's not my point. But there's another bitterness and anger that I think is even more prevalent in the churches, and that's believers who are upset with God or upset spiritually because something has happened in their life And they just can't get over it. They just don't understand why. And maybe they're asking why. And maybe they're in that stage of why, God? Why would you let this happen? Why did this happen to me? And you need to transition from that stage to, God, please show me why this happened so I can be better from it. And not sit on a pew Sunday after Sunday and shake people's hand and hear the gospel and hear people shouting and raising their hand and me sitting here bitter. And not being blessed because I can't let the Holy Spirit work in my heart. In Ecclesiastes chapter three, Solomon provides, I believe, some help for those of us who have been through ups and been through downs. And if you didn't know this, you're us. You've been through ups. You've been through downs. You might be up right now, You might be down right now. You might be the opposite tomorrow. And it's life. And God's in control. And He understands. And He wants you to receive help from that. So, with that said, let's read again verses 1 through 8. If you want to stand as we honor God's word in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, as we look at this thought of perspective. being a good steward of our time. Ecclesiastes chapter three, which I said, but I'm not there. To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Time to be born and a time to die. Time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep, a time to cast away. A time to rend, a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to be open and receptive to your spirit, to your word that we can... Leave here today, and if we're bitter, we could be better. God, I pray today that I would only say the things that would be helpful to your people. I pray that you would give me wisdom and discernment to not waste time, but to help people through your word, with your word. And I pray if there's a person here today that's lost, They don't understand there's no way they have the capacity to understand that you're in control and that you created time god they've got a bigger problem than some of us and that's the need for salvation and i pray today they would see that there's a time for that and today might be that day that they would respond to your holy spirit make you lord of their life We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We've been in this perspective study for quite a while now, and last week we started this biblical perspective of stewardship, stewarding our greatest resource. Now, If I'm honest, I don't always hear positive, not not that I always hear negative, but I don't always hear an overabundance of positive comments after I preach. I usually get the, good job, that's all right. Good to see you on the way out, but I've heard several, I've had several people this week discuss or talk to me about last week's sermon, and I don't think it has anything to do with me or my hourglass that I almost brought in for this side today, but thought that I'd have you wondering, but it has to do with the topic, and the topic is time, and the reality is that all of us understand that this is applicable to me. And so it piques our interest. And we start thinking. And as the sands and the hourglass go, we start thinking about time. is Am I wasting time? Am, am I using my time? And the idea of stewardship is really about managing someone's resources. And so when we understand that time is a, a resource and our greatest resource, it really, quite honestly, it puts a burden on us. It convicts us to... To be good stewards of time, because a steward is someone who manages something that's not their own. It's someone else. It belongs to someone else. And last week we understood that, and we learned through scripture, that time is created by God. It's controlled by God. It's God's. And any time we have, this is where I get messed up, Is still in my next point, is a gift from God. Don't put that up there yet, that's where we're going. And so God has given us time, and we are to be a steward of the time he's given us. Now I understand that there are people, different personalities in this room. And when you go to lunch, there'll be different personalities. When you go to work, there'll be different personalities. There'll be different opinions about time. Some people have no problem just wasting time. It's a spiritual gift. Some people are built to work, do something nonstop until time is exhausted, or they are. Now, I know some of both of those people, and I know which one I am, and if we're honest, even some of us who want to burn every ounce of time out of every day, if we're not careful, we're wasting a lot of that time that we even though we're busy. I, I used to talk about my grandfather who, uh, he, especially after he retired, after 48 years in can of meals, we kind of joked that he would go out and dig a hole just to cover it back up. <laughs> like he had to be doing something all the time. And um, I now I, I think, I know some other people like that too. But the point is we can all waste time, even if we're busy. That was convicting. No amens needed there. We understand. Well, I was doing something. What were you doing? I don't even know. I was doing it, and I was doing it hard. We understand that time is our greatest resource. It really convicts us and behooves us to manage it well. So last week, we started about that, and we talked about time being purposeful. Time is Uh, of God, it's created by God, it's controlled by God. And today I want us to talk about the, not that time is purposeful because it is, but that time is precious. I use that word intentionally, it's not really in our text, the word necessarily, but the word precious is used often in scripture and every time we see it, without exception, it means valuable. With the precious blood of Jesus, as a lamb without spot. It's valuable. Uh, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's valuable. It means something. It carries weight when a born-again uh, saint dies. It, it, it really comes full circle to the preciousness of the blood that was shed for the saint who dies. And that's what makes it valuable. And that's what makes it precious in the sight of God. And I think it goes without saying that time is valuable time is precious talk about resources and last week I alluded to this If we think about it clearly none of our resources matter if we don't have time to utilize them none of your money none of my money matters if I don't have time to do something with it none of my spiritual gifts matter None of my talents matter. None of your gifts and talents matter if you don't have time to use them. So time has to be our greatest resource. Therefore, it's valuable. And I want to talk under this context of the value or the preciousness of time about the promise of time and the priority of time. Now, when I use the phrase promise of time, I want to clarify. Um, not that we've all been promised any specific amount of time. But according to the text, there is a promise about time that I want us to look at. The promise of time is that all of our time is a gift from God. It's in the text. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we read verses 1 through 8, but in verses thirteen and, or 12 and 13, listen to what he says, I know that there is no good in them but for a man to rejoice and to do good in this life. Look at verse 13. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Now, that was from the King James. I, I'm going to read from the CSB and let you hear because I think it really makes the point better. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life, It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. Now, when we, most of us Bible students, when we hear eat, drink, and be merry, we think of that in a negative connotation. Eat, drink, and merry, for tomorrow you shall die. That's not the context of that verse. The context of that verse is when you eat, drink, and be merry and get to do life, it's a gift of God. It's a gift from God. Time is a gift from God. Now the text is very clear that even the bad times are a gift from God because it involves time. Now that's where it's hard to amen and say move on brother. But once we grow in grace and knowledge and in wisdom and discernment as a born again believer with a different perspective, we we go through those bad times. We go through those uh, valleys. And we can, go, we can come out of them because we usually come out and we say, God was still good. And that I learned from that time. And our perspective as a believer, this is where it's important. It's different from the world. We look at the bad times. We come out the other side and we say, there was still a gift from God. And if we can't do that and you're a believer and you know it, You need to stop. You need to get on your knees. Sounds like an old preacher what I'm about to say. And you need to pray to God. God, I'm struggling with this time that you allowed me to go through. Listen to that prayer. It's an acknowledgement that God allowed you to go through that time. Because he controls time. He created time. That's the perspective of a born-again Christian. Right. It's not the perspective of a lost man who doesn't believe in God or somebody that believed that God's up there with a magnifying glass trying to burn ants. Different perspective. Now, church, what I just said, it, it's really, you can feel the grind, right? Because if you're there, you need to Stop. If you can't get through or over what happened, it's time to stop. And it's time to be serious with God. Because if we're a believer, and according to scripture, we know he controls time, and we know he created time, and we know Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good for them who love the Lord, who called according to his purpose. Then we can't move on. We've got to stop. And get better instead of staying bitter. And I promise you I'm old enough to know that our churches are full of that. So what's that mean? Why does that matter to you? Well, you have to shake those people's hands. No, that's, that's just personal. God wants to do something through this church. And God wants to do something through the members of this church. And he wants a healthy member to make a healthy church. And I'm not talking about just laying out of church. I'm talking about getting right with God and getting over the bitterness and getting over the anger and saying, God, you can't use me when I'm hard like this. You got to do it. You got to do it. If you're a believer, you got to do it because you know he's in control. And if we're honest, we might have we got ourselves in that mess. And quit blaming God. Yeah, yeah. Ask Him forgiveness. Saying, I'm, a, I'm an idiot, God. I got myself in that mess. And it might be involved in apologizing to God and saying, I've been blaming you, and I should have been blaming me. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then move on. on. Better. And ask God, why did this happen? I'm sitting here mulling over experiences in my life, and I know people in here who've had experiences in their life. And because of your biblical perspective of time, you're better from it, and you've helped people who go through the same thing. But I promise you, because we're gonna be honest with each other, when you were going through that time, it was hard to say, God, I know you're gonna use this. You might have knew he was gonna use it, but you had trouble. When you were in that fire, when it was hot and it was stressful, or you were bawling your eyes out, you were upset, you were hurt, deep in the recesses of your spiritual heart as a believer, you knew God was in control, but you probably didn't. I'm I'm usually pretty transparent. You probably didn't want anybody to tell you, it's all right. God's got it under control wasn't the time, just leave me alone. Let me work it out. And you came out better instead of bitter. I, I didn't plan on talking about this this much. But when you're not better from experiences in your life, and I'm seeing a man's face shaking my hand saying, pray for me, I'm bitter, not better. I'm also seeing a dad, I'm seeing a husband, I'm seeing a grandfather, I'm seeing a co-worker, and seeing all the people that he affects and how he could affect them differently if he was better instead of bitter. Because it will manifest itself and it will affect other people. And you and I affect other people. And we're to be salt and light And it's hard to be salt and light when you're bitter and you're upset and you're hard-hearted. Time is precious because of the promise of time. And the promise is that time is a gift. In verse 9, Solomon asks, what does the profit or gain from the struggles listed? What, what, all this stuff, a time for this, a time for that, what's the profit? What's the benefit of going through all this? In verse 10, he answers and says, I've seen the travail which God has given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. And it's a, it's a reaffirmation that even the bad times, good and bad times are a gift. All of these ups and downs are a gift from God. God gave it to us. Now it's, it's once again, here's perspective. God gave me this. Fill in this. That's up to you. Maybe it wasn't so pleasant. God gave me this. You understand, any time we say God gave me something, it's a gift? She gave me the flu. (laughs) Now that's one perspective, but when God gives you something that wasn't so pleasant, God gave me the, don't say flu, some of you. It wasn't so pleasant, but it was a gift from God. God allowed this hardship. God allowed this valley. It was a gift from God. Now, it's not really, that's hard to really preach because everybody's looking at me like, that's a little stretch. But when we see the the path, when we see the map, and we see from the 30,000 or from the God point of view, we look down and we say, oh, this was all a gift of God. Everybody in here has made some dumb mistakes. Made some silly choices. You got to the fork in the road, and you're like, "Any, mini, money, mo," <laughs> or this one's going to be more pleasant than this one, or if I go down this road, I probably won't run into him or her. And you might have made a flippant decision that probably wasn't the wisest decision, or it wasn't a thought-out, prayed-about decision. But five years later, ten years later, you see, God was sovereign even over your silliness and my silliness. It's a gift, even though it wasn't a smooth path or a straight path. Had some rocks, had some valleys, had some mountains. What's, this, what's to be gained? Time is a gift. It's all a gift from God. In Psalm chapter 90, we think about time, the time that's been given, or the, the promise of time. I, I think it goes without saying that many of us in, church, in the church world know what Psalm 90 verse 10 says. I want to maybe put this in perspective. In Psalm chapter 90 verse 10, the psalmist says, the days of your years are three score and ten. Now, unless you're Abraham Lincoln or a Bible student, you know that's 70, Let's just think about promise of time. Let's put this in perspective. We know that the promise of time is that any time we've been given is a gift. We also know that time is limited. That was encouraging. No amens. That's right, brother. I'm on my last leg. (laughs) Thanks for reminding me. Woke up this morning. This rain's got my joints all messed up. The days of our years are three score and 10. That's 70. <clears throat> now, I'm not here to preach or teach or dig into how, what that means exactly, because some don't make it to 70 and some go to 90. But using it as a standard is always worth perspective, because when I said that, wheels started turning in this room. I see them. I see looks. I see people saying, where am I at on this scale? If, if God has said, if he were to have promised 70 years to everybody, which that's not what the text means, but if 70 years is really the, let's look at it this it's a gift from God. That's one way of looking at this. If you get 70 years, that was a gift from God. Imagine the wisdom and the help you can offer of being a 70-plus-year-old. Some of you need to take that note right there. I'm serious. Because you've got things to offer that some 40-year-olds need to hear. And some grandkids and great-grandkids need to hear. And when you look at it as God has blessed me with 70 years, or 80 years, or 90 years, Look what I've learned. Let's talk about it, grandkids. Let's talk about it, kids. Here's what God's taught me. And yeah, I've been blessed by 70 years. And yeah, I was diagnosed with cancer when blah, 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 blah. blah but, you know, I made it through it and all this. And look at the perspective that it's given and talk to them. I'm going somewhere with this in a second to get our attention. But we, this is not political. This country needs 70-plus-year-olds investing in the younger generations in so many ways. Grandparents, I, I I know being a grandparent doesn't make you an automatic babysitter, all right? But being 70 or being a grandparent makes you an automatic investor into your children and grandchildren. I'm serious. They need it. We need it. In the culture we live in with so many broken homes and so many single-parent homes, you don't have a lot of grandparents anymore. You don't have a lot of um, nuclear families together anymore. Most of the 70-plus-year-olds are together. It's a whole different perspective, and they need to hear it. We need to hear it. They need to see it. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep working. Keep serving. There's a generation behind you that needs the example. Exodus. Exodus. Uh, This passage comes to mind so often. And there rose up a generation who knew not God. How did that happen? Because a generation didn't teach about God. There's a generation that knew God, but didn't teach about God. And so a generation rose up that didn't know the God that the generation before knew about. And that happened today? Absolutely, it's happening. It's happening. Life's a few days and full of troubles. Well, 70 doesn't seem like a few days to me. I mean, I know my eating habits. If I get to 70, it's a definitely a gift from God. <laughs> my wife gets serious when I start talking about that. Don't talk about us. It's like, I'm still 21 years. And then I'm like, well, 21 years? I'm not that old. Oh, I better eat a salad next week. <laughs> if God had promised, and that's not the context, but if God had promised 70 years, think about this. The average U.S. lifespan of a woman is 79.1. Some of you are thinking, am I on to one?" (laughs) And for a man, it's less, 73.2. Now, we all know why it's less. (laughs) They don't eat as good. So if that's the case, now, now, church, I'm trying to get some perspective brewing here. I'm serious. You had to laugh because we start thinking about dying. Especially if you're 70 plus. Right? I know how this is working. I'm glad he thinks it's funny. I'm on my way out. If God had said 70 years is what you get, and we know in America, based on CDC from 2021, and you can believe everything the CDC says, it's 79 for a woman and 73 for a man. If that's the case, we've got, we've got to assume the CDC knows some of what they're talking about. And we can, you can go to the obituaries right now, right? So don't do it. It's not encouraging. If those are realities, should that not get our attention? Now, fortunately, we've we got a great church and we've got people on both sides of seventy. And I think we got a lot of people on the on the the lower side of seventy, which is great. But there's a decent number of people that seventy plus, or creeping up on seventy, or at least it's now viewable down the road. (laughs) You can you see the exit signs for it. (laughs) That ought to put things in perspective. What am I doing with my time? What have I done with my time? What should I be doing with my time? When we understand, here's here's where I'm going with this. Now, when I was 20, and everybody everybody over 20 can amen this. No, everybody over 40 can amen what I'm about to say. When I was 20, or I was 18, and I was out on the basketball court playing with 40-year-olds, I used to think, I used to think, How are they able to play at 40? (laughs) Honestly, when I I got 40, I thought, how am I able? I was like, oh, it's not as bad as I thought it was. Now I will tell you there's a big difference between 40 and 49. (laughs) It got a little, (laughs) but I can still take most of them. But anyway, sit for slow. But I used to think, man, what's it like to be that old? How, How can they walk? Like, I used to think 50 was like decrepit. Like, how can a 60-year-old go play golf? But then I understood, oh, you still, like, you can still walk at 60 or 49. Because we learned. But what we learned is that time is short. Time is brief. It's a few days and full of trouble, Job said. And James said, it's a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And once you get 40 or 45 or 50 or 60, you start to say things like, man, it was just two years ago, but now it's 20. I feel like it was just a few months, but it was 10 years ago. I mean, I remember 20, 2000. Y'all remember 2000? Some of you do. Some shaking their head no. They're babies. Remember when the world was going to shut down, everybody's scared to death? Somehow we made it 23 years. What? And still no spaceships other than China and the, that stuff. <laughs> still no Jetsons. But doesn't it seem like just a few weeks ago that it was 10 years ago? You see your kids, you're like, man, I remember holding them just a few weeks ago, and now he's huge. <laughs> what happened? Why? Because time is short. Now, now here, I'm, just, I'm not just meddling and having fun. There's a reason. I believe there's a biblical reason why time is brief, other than life's a few days and full of trouble. And I think it's in our text right here. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11. This is a biblical perspective for the brevity of time. Y'all ready? This is This is powerful. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set, the King James will say, the world. He has, set the, he has set eternity in their hearts so that no man can find out the work that God makes from the beginning to the end. God, as creator, who created time, who controls time, has placed in man's heart eternity. That's what the text says. Ecclesiastes 3.11. It says world in the King James. If you have a good study Bible, even a King James study Bible, it will say eternity in the the margin somewhere. Because that's the word. God, through creation, created man with a finite fleshly body, but he put eternity in their hearts. We were made for eternity. Every man, woman, boy, and girl will live for eternity in one of two places. But we're gonna live down here physically in a body that is a few days and full of troubles, that is three score and 10 years. But we were made by God as creator for eternity. He placed it in our hearts. It's another, in my opinion, it's another apologetic for a creator. God placed eternity. He placed a desire for us to know our Creator. He placed a desire in our in our hearts to know there's more to this life. And if you're struggling with that, and some people are, some people are struggling. Is there more? Is life really just eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow you shall die? Is there more to this? I'm telling you, the world and the antichrist of the world, the antichrist philosophers, the antichrist educators want you to think and believe that there's nothing else. That's why they're anti-creation. Because right. if you can believe creation, you can believe there's more to this life. You can believe in creation, you can believe in a creator, and the creator teaches that he put eternity in your heart. And you'll know there's more to this life. But if you're struggling, I got a practical way. All right, this is going to seem silly. It might seem silly to you, but it's a time in my life, I'm not going to tell you the old story, it's a time in my life where it changed some things, it changed some perspective. My wife doesn't know this, but just last week, and I do it every now and then. I'm crazy, okay? I'm, just, I'm crazy. She knew that part. She knew that. She know what I'm about to say. I do this periodically. If the, if the weather's nice, like last week when it was super nice, North Carolina, and today it's sleeting. We're stuck here, by the way. I don't know if you know it's been sleeting. More. No, just kidding. I'm outside. It's 10.30 at night, 10 o'clock at night, and I lay, I'm, if people would have walked by they would have thought they might have called 911 I was on my back laying in my driveway <laughs> I had two dogs straddling me <laughs> and what am I doing I'm looking at the stars I'm looking at the moon now that means something to me don't be stealing my stuff but you can do it if you're struggling wondering just look up just look up look up at God's creation and you and and it just makes i stop cuz i'd be mean you know he's in control you know by what you see and even if you went to a secular school and learned about science and learned about the stars and learned about astronomy and all that stuff you know there's got to be more to it than chance and he's in control and he's not just creator but he's sustainer and when you know that and you're reminded of that you know this life is not out of control there's a reason, there's a purpose. So just look to him, look to the stars, look to his creation. God placed eternity in our hearts. and I believe it's an apologetic just like creation. He says man's without excuse. Because he created and gave us an illustration, if you will, of who he is. Spurgeon said, unless we purposely live with a view to the next world, we cannot make much out of our present existence. You talk about something that'll change your perspective, is that when you understand you're living this life for the next, and what you do in this life has everything to do with your next life. Because everyone in this room and everyone listening will spend eternity. Somewhere, heaven or hell and the choice you make today affects your eternity and God placed eternity in every man's heart so that's the promise of time I want us to look at the priority of time <clears throat> knowing that time is our greatest resource knowing that time time is promised although it's not the amount of time, but the quality or the gift of time is promised. If we're a believer, it causes us to prioritize our time. Now this, quite honestly, is where it's not fun. Because we're all guilty of messed up priorities. We're all guilty of wasting time. But when we understand the time is a gift from God. The encouragement, the motivation is to prioritize our time. A priority is the state of being prior. Imagine that. It's what comes first. Everybody in here prioritizes their time. Whether, you know, well, I don't, well, you did. If you answer that, you just told me how you prioritize your time. And what I want to do as a pastor, as a friend, as a Christian brother, is encourage us to prioritize our faith and prioritize our family. It's just old-fashioned helping us out. And it's easier to do when we understand a biblical perspective of the time we've been given. When we're reminded that this is a gift from God and every minute we have is a gift from God, it reminds us to prioritize our faith and prioritize our family. When we prioritize our faith, we're talking about our relationship with God. Not talking about some spiritual journey. I mean, I I understand it can be written that way, but we're not just talking about some, by, by the way, we've learned and you've learned and I've learned there's a lot of spiritual people around us. Did y'all know that? It's a lot of spiritual people. I'm not talking about Christian people. I'm talking about spiritual people. I'm talking about spiritually Christian. I'm talking about just spiritual. They believe in a lot of spiritual things. we talk about prioritizing our faith, talk about relationship with God. And I'm going to make this statement and I'm going to be brief through these. Lordship salvation is true salvation. I've I've talked about this before, and I remember in my lifetime, um, you know, the preaching was basically, if you're born again, you need to make him Lord of your life. You know, you made a decision to follow him, but he's never really been Lord of your life. You need to make him Lord of your life. Well, I, I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings, but I don't think that's true salvation is making a decision, but him not being Lord of your life. And I think we messed that up in the American church for a long, long time. Making a decision to follow Christ is a decision to make him Lord of your life. There's not two different decisions. He's Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. The disciples were called to follow him and he said, drop your nets, come follow me. Drop your nets was not a Sunday afternoon fish, fishing trip. This was who they were. It was their job, it was their livelihood, it was their family. Many of them left the family business to come follow Jesus. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, hey, I want to follow you. This seems like the cool thing to do. And he says, "Uh, hey, keep the law. Nope, I already done that. He said, okay, go sell everything and give it to the poor. Everything you got. Why? Because he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Another person comes and says, hey, Jesus, I want to be one of your disciples, but I got to go to a funeral first. One of my parents died. He said, let the dead bury their dead. Come follow me. Parent died, can't go to the funeral. He's Lord of all. I got some land, I got a big business deal I'm about to go take care of. Nope, come follow me. That's Lordship salvation, and that's salvation. He's first. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What, first? Yeah, he's first, he's priority. When we understand a biblical view of stewardship in time, we understand that Jesus is first. We're to love God with our all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Priority. Lordship. Now, I've got your attention partly because it's 10 till and you think I still got an hour. I understand that. I don't. I'm going to surprise you in a second. But I think I also have some people's attention because we're thinking about our time and we're thinking about the profession that we made years ago. But asking ourselves, is he really Lord? Many, many will say to me that day, did we not preach, teach, cast out demons? Did we not do many miracles in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. There will be people stand before God with a false salvation. There will be people, and I'm, I'm just gonna be, this is gonna be pretty, pretty rough. There will be people standing before God from the American church that made a decision 24 times in 20 different Bible schools to be saved. But they weren't discipled. And they were sold a bill of goods. They didn't understand that it was making Jesus Lord of your life. That it's not just a decision. It's not just signing something. It's not getting a free Bible. It's not getting baptized. It's making him Lord of your life. There's a way that we get to many saved. There's a way that we get to broad is the path that leads to destruction, and many there be who find it, but narrow is the way to salvation or to heaven, and few there be. There's a way. And a lot of it's based on false gospels or false professions. Jesus is... Expecting to be Lord of our life. He deserves priority. So i encourage you to prioritize your faith. And I encourage you to prioritize your family. Now you don't know this, but I'm going to tell you, this is saving a sermon, what I'm about to do. Because I was going to preach a message on the biblical perspective or biblical view of the family. Not because you don't know where I stand or where the Bible stands, but I think it's important. But when we look at time and think about prioritizing our family, it's important to understand understand the biblical perspective of the family because it matters. God designed three institutions. The first was the family. The second was government. The the third was church, the local church. These are designed by God, and the first was the family. In Genesis chapter 2, Adam's told, Eve's told to leave and cleave I just preached that for about five sessions to a, some newlyweds that are here today. Welcome back, Leonards. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave. This is God's plan for the first family, for the family. You say, well, that's the Old Testament. Good, Mark said, and Jesus said it in Mark chapter 10 as well. Because it's still relevant. It's still relevant. In Ephesians chapter five and a little bit in verse six, God gives the formula for the family. It's important. Can I do this in five minutes? Yes, God gives the formula for the family. And here's what I want us to understand. If you don't hear anything else about the family, you don't remember anything about the family, this is what we preach and teach to our kids and our grandkids and to our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers. This is why we stand where we stand on the family because of God's word. And he has a plan and he has a formula and when we do it that way, it works. It works. And when we don't, look around. It's plain as day. And Ephesians chapter five and Ephesians chapter six. There's something for the dad, there's something for the mom, there's something for the husband, there's something for the wife, and there's something for the kids. Do y'all know that's there? Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives submit to your husbands, as unto the Lord. Not because he's a man, not because he's a a great man, but because he is submissive to the Lord, therefore then you're submissive to him. Men, don't expect them to submit to you when you don't submit to the Lord. That's not biblical. Then he throws in the kids. Children, obey your parents. Why? I don't want to obey them. It's right. That's what he says. Honor your mother and father so that you live long and they don't kill you. The last part was not Bible. It was just life. God established it that way. Man, woman. Dad, mother. Husband, wife. Children. That's how it's supposed to be. Why? Because God said it. The answer is not because my church said it. The answer is not because Baptist Faith and Message said it or my preacher says it that way. It's because God said it and that's why we stand for it. Now, if anybody questions that, say, look around at the mess we're living in. This is what you get when you don't do it. Church, believer, we've got to prioritize the family. We've got to preach it that way. We've got to live it that way. Dads, the burden's on you. The burden's on me. Husbands, the burden's on me. The burden's on you. Silence. Amen, brother. I'm going to throw you a curveball. The problem with what we see in America today is not the LGBTQ. They're a problem, don't get me wrong. I forgot the other I, R, the other things that are there now. probably added one today. Problem is men not being men. And Christian men not being Christian men. And being the husbands they're supposed to be and being the dads they're supposed to be. It's not Father's Day, but every day ought to be Father's Day from the word of God. Not getting the ladies off the hook, but it's on us, men. It's on us. Single parent statistics in America are outrageous. And I've got a truckload of them. Here's what, here's what we know. And these are recent stats, and i got a lot, but I'm not going to bore you and take you past your time because I know you've got important things to do. The numbers vary based on race. And quite honestly, um, black children suffer in America at a higher rate than, than white children, or Hispanic for that matter. Hispanics do a great job of staying together, matter of fact. But the reality is in America, one out of every four children are in a single parent home. Red, yellow, black, and white. One out of four in America. Now, one out of three black kids are in it, single parent home. 80% of single parent homes in America are ran by a mom. 80% of single parent homes in America, no dad. You don't have to be a preacher or a statistician to go find the research. I'm not talking about Christian research from a slanted point of view. I'm talking about national research that shows why dads matter. And if you don't want to look at research, come with me to visit a school and I'll show you why dads matter. You can't make this stuff up. The numbers are astronomical. And the research proves God knows what he's talking about. We're throwing billions of dollars in America into our public schools to fix a problem that can't be fixed with money. We're, We're spending billions of dollars to get kids to read. I'm serious. When what would make a kid read, and some, pe- some people don't agree with what I'm about to say in the education world, what would make a kid would read was dad being in the home. Yeah, that's right. It wouldn't cost the state a dollar. Y'all say amen or I'm going to keep preaching this and meddle for another 30 minutes. <laughs> Almost everybody in here my age and older knows the motivation that both parents would use to get you to do your work that the state can't use, but it doesn't cost a dollar. Now, it might cost $5 to buy a paddle at the flea market. We had the love paddle at my house. And that was stupid. <laughs> Just because it was shaped like a heart didn't mean it was love. <laughs> there are research upon research upon research. Everything from... From poverty, kids being adults and ended up in poverty, that are, they're four times more likely to be in, a poverty, in poverty as an adult than if they would have had a dad. 20 years later, it matters. It matters to see a dad work. It was a good time for all of us people to work say amen. I know I don't work, but there, those of you who do work say amen. <laughs> it matters when a kid sees a dad work. By the way, in this crazy, I've church words, church words, in this crazy um, flimsy world that we live in, it'd be good for, for boys to see dads put in a light bulb. <laughs> we got a generation of kids that can't change a light bulb. I say kids, I'm talking about adults. They're, they're looking on Angie's list to find somebody to change a light bulb. Can you imagine how that's fleshing out in family? Well, that's, that, was, that was sexist. Women can change light bulbs. Unfortunately, most of them can change them better than some of the men today because <laughs> they're smart enough to figure out how to do it if they're dumb enough to not know how to do it. That's not nice. Dads matter. Dads, you matter. Invest time. You'll never get it back. And there's no success in life greater than the success of your children and your relationship with them. Yeah. you got to believe it. you got to buy into it. you got to do it. We, we preach and teach and scream and yell and go to conferences about how to change America. And it's not wearing a red hat or voting red. And I got, a, I got a good key from the Word of God. It's men being biblical men. Yes. And we can make a difference because we invest in people that matter. We invest in our kids. We invest in our grandkids. And that's how you change a generation. You got to do it. You got to take time to do it. I hear people zipping up, so I'll stop. <laughs> Life is a few days and full of troubles. It's a vapor, appears for a little while and vanishes away. What you do now matters for eternity and it'll matter for someone else's eternity. How are you using your time? If you're here today and you're lost, you've never been saved, you never made Jesus Lord of your life, I, I hate to use this phrase, but you're on borrowed time. Because it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And you don't have to be sick to die, and you don't have to be old to die. And every person in this room will die unless Jesus returns. I heard the theologian in here say that just now. You're going to die and you're going to face Jesus. And what matters is what decision you made about him. It's going to happen. I used to joke, and, and that wasn't really a joke, but I've joked and said, you know, in my mind, I'm a sports guy, I've broken down life in quarters. Some of you remember me talking about that and that's probably the one thing you've remembered in five years I've said it, but four quarters, 20 years, that's 80. That's getting a little extra. And you're in one of those four, one of those four quarters or in overtime, right? And that's not numbers I made up. Those are God's numbers and just scientific numbers in America. That if you make it to 80, you've done well. And it's hard for me to imagine I'm halfway through the third quarter. Like some of you feel real old. 20, 40, 60, 80, 40, 60. yeah, halfway through the third quarter. And where are you at in the game? Have you, have you blown the first half? Did you not show up? Did you lay an egg the first half? Maybe you're in halftime and you're getting a little pep talk right now. Saying, hey, let's go out there in the third quarter and let's make a difference. Let's think a little differently. Let's make better decisions. We're playing to win. We're not just playing to be on the team, we're playing to win. Don't be looking in the stands and watching what everybody else is doing. Do your job. The rest of the team is counting on you. Do your job. Still got another half to play. Or maybe you're in the fourth quarter. And the game's close. You figure it out how you want to write this out. Are you making it last? Are you making a difference? Are you making your time count? Here's the deal. When, when, when the game clock is all zeros, it's over. It's over. And only what's done for Christ lasts. Would you stand with me? Are you stewarding your greatest resource? I hope you are. Do you understand that it's a gift, that every minute you have is a gift from God? Do you understand that your time here is limited? Lost man, lost woman, have you made the decision that will affect your eternity for the good? Or are you every day making a decision that affects your eternity negatively? Because if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, you're making a decision every minute of every hour of every day to reject him. Maybe today's the day you step out in faith and you make him Lord of your life. Church member, member of the Capital C Church, Are you investing your time? Are you stewarding your time? I've got got an hour seminar right now just on dads. I'm gonna come back to dad. Dads, are you using your time the way God would be pleased? Grandpas, you investing your time the way God would be pleased? Mom and dad, this is gonna be a tough question. Grandparent? Does your child or grandchild, this, this is so silly, do they know you're born again? Do they know that Jesus is Lord of your life? It ought to be evident. Now I know in a Baptist church, they're like, that's a crazy question to ask, but I'm just going to ask it, and I did. Do they know where you stand spiritually? Do they know where you stand biblically? Do they know why you make the rules you make? Do you make the rules you make based on this? Do you love them the way this says, love them? Do you spend time with them? Do you invest in them? It makes a difference. To you pray, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church events and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbccannapolis.com.